All right. Thank you to the Earth Matters team and good morning, listeners, uh, to News from the Drug War Front. My name is Jeff. Uh, my co-presenter is Marion. Good morning to you. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, Jeffrey. How are you on this beautiful morning? This is more like a Gorgeous. classic is, yeah. Canberra winter's day, this, isn't it? This is what it reminds me. This is what winter's like. Freezing cold in the morning, but a sunny day. Um, when you finally get up and get out. But you don't have to get up and get out because you can sit and listen to us for a while and enjoy yourself until lunchtime, just relaxing and drinking your coffee and listening to us. Indeed. Well, look, we've got a few interesting stories. We've got a piece that sort of spells out the, um, uh, well, I'd call it drug checking site rather than pill testing uh, site, but it's up and running. Yep. And we've got a report on, you know, just the fundamentals of um, how it's operating. Um, got a piece on action to try and eliminate Hep C in prisons, which is uh, quite interesting. And yeah, and, and a big problem, I would think, a real difficulty in trying to stop Hep C happening in prison as long as the prison officers maintain the... Um, Anti-NSP. Opposition yeah. to, you know, needle exchange. So that means that people are going to be sharing, you know, equipment in jail because like it or don't, people use, use drugs, drugs in jail. In jail. It yep. happens. Just yeah. as one of those facts you just have to face. Yeah, so hopefully we'll have some uh, interesting um, stories and debate. Anyway, yeah, I think we've got some interesting, no hopefully's at all, Jeffrey. You've got some doozies here. Oh, cool. Uh, so welcome to this week's edition of News from the Drug Warfront, brought to you by Karma, the Canberra Alliance for Home Minimisation and Advocacy, and The Connection, which is Canberra's peer-based drug and alcohol service for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander clients. And, um, of course, very sad um, Archie Roach passing. Yeah. That was very... Very sad to hear. Yeah. 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 And, the, and the loss of a very a good and gentle man. Yes. And I think we've been listening to... Um, that t- took the children away all weekend, which is such a mournful and and very deep and moving song. And I can understand the replaying of it, but, you know, we pay our respect to him anyway. Absolutely. As to all, you know, of the First Nations people and on the uh, land that we broadcast from. Yeah. And we basically invited to make ourselves... Um, at home here, and now it's time to, it's time to start getting back together, making, uh, getting a voice to Parliament established, and getting the, getting the the um, the statement from the heart yes. implemented Absolutely. because that was so moving. And as I recall, that was. Five years ago, that was put out, Jeffrey. It when was. just after I'd started, um, and it's and such a that's generous... why I remember the date. I mean, the day so well. It was five years. It was almost, I think, two weeks after I'd started, um, and I was on the show with uh, another presenter, another two presenters. I think you were away at that stage. And doing the voice from the statement from the heart was very moving. Mm. And it should have been implemented then and there. But now, of course, we had a government at that stage that wasn't likely to do it. But now we've got one that's saying, yes, it'll happen. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Very positive. Very positive. Okay. Um, Of course, the show um, uh, naturally promotes the services provided by Karma. And reports on new stories that are relevant to drug users from Australia and around the world. 
And uh, we also aim to promote discussion and education about the need for different approaches to dealing with the harms caused by problematic drug use in a world of prohibition. So we do um, cover the whole range of uh, misery and deaths and harms caused by the prohibition of certain drugs uh, that is enshrined on a global scale um, with three United Nations conventions. Um, and although we've seen some thorine of prohibition in some countries, sadly, most of these policies remain largely unchanged uh, throughout the world. And we acknowledge the efforts and, in many cases, sacrifices of peers and activists throughout the globe who have contributed to the struggle against the war on people who use drugs. Indeed. I recall, Geoffrey, it's, it's a little bit like um, what used to be called the Canberra Crawl. It was a dance in the old days. Two steps forward, one step back. That's pretty much what the, you know, the war on drugs has been all about for users like us. Um, Karma and The Connection provide a wide range, wide range of services like advocacy, peer treatment, support education, art therapy, support groups, mentoring and referrals. Above all, Karma and The Connection are harm reduction services. You should always remember that. Karma and The Connection are located at the Belconnen Churches Centre at Shop 17, Level 154 Benjamin Way. The drop-in hour, drop hours are 10am to 4 p.m. Monday to Friday. Contact can be made on 6253-3643, that's the landline, or by emailing karma at info at karma.org.au, or one word. Karma can assist people with a wide range of issues, again, including advice and advocacy about opioid maintenance treatment, such as methadone, suboxone, buprenorphine tablets and the long-acting injectable buprenorphine like buvital and sublocade. Access and being, to being paid to treat your hep C in conjunction with hepatitis ACT and the Reach, Teach, Treat, Thrive program, which is a fabulous program. And I might say at the moment I think they're oversubscribed, yeah, but yeah. it's a very popular program. And, uh, it, you know, I mean, the bottom line is you're... you're Liver gets cured, and if we remember last week, we had the new, uh, we had Sarah, the we new um, EO of uh, hepatitis ACT, and they're looking at finding a way of curing hepatitis B, which I would be so thrilled about. I would love to know that my hepatitis B was cured, mm. not that I was not just cruising along with being antibody positive to it or carrying the antibodies. Um, so we help people to access detox, rehab and other treatment services if they so require it. We help people to cope with and overcome the impact of stigma and discrimination that's directed towards them as drug users, as most drug users will have ex been exposed to that at some stage or another if they've ever been acknowledged as drug users. Sometimes they've even be been the subject of their own um, discrimination mm. and stigma because we've been, I guess, indoctrinated. It's been, you know, pushed into us for so long that we tend to take a lot of that stuff as fact and as it applies, that it applies to us. There's a walk-in clinic with a doctor and a nurse on Wednesdays from 10am to 2pm in partnership with Directions ACT and there's no appointment necessary for that. Peer education workshops including the opioid 
overdose recognition and response with naloxone training and the provision of take-home naloxone and the fix, a series of one-hour paid workshops that aim to educate people in all aspects of harm reduction. We provide abstinence and advocacy uh, for people who are experiencing problems navigating social services and who doesn't. The Connections Harm Reduction Peer Education Program was also provided for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander clients. The Connections staff offer all the same assistance as Karma do, but in a culturally appropriate way that's tailored specifically for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander clients. If you're having problems associated with alcohol, tobacco or any other drugs and warrant and want judgment-free assistance or just to chat with someone who can empathise with your experience and give Karma a call on that number again, 62533643. If we're unable to help, we'll find, well, we'll do our best to find you someone who can. Exactly. So there's um, a lot of variety of services Absolutely. and advocacy and assistance. And, yeah, um, you, you think of something you need to have done and we will find a way to get it done if it's possible. Exactly. All right, uh, this news from the Drug War Front uh, report um, covers news stories that are relevant to illicit drug users. Many of the articles featured in the program come from other sources, including the mainstream media. The contents uh, of the, this broadcast slash podcast do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Karma and the Connection. Karma does not condone nor condemn drug use and we do not promote illegal activity. However, we recognise that drug use happens and will continue to happen regardless of laws and United Nations conventions. As such, Karma focuses on harm reduction messages, drug treatment support services, advocacy and community development, all things that Marion just mentioned. We seek to reduce the harms associated with drug use and its criminalisation through the provision of programs that foster community development and the delivery of person-centred holistic health care. Karma advocates for equity of health service delivery for all people. Yeah, and while we're talking about all people, I'll just send a shout-out to Mary this morning and also I send a shout-out all the way over to Spain because I think that's where where Jack is now and maybe listening to us on the podcast. So I'm not sure if he's left yet, but I'm pretty sure he has. And if he has or hasn't, I know Pete's going to let me know one way or the other. Uh, but it won't zit at me because I've got my phone turned over, Pete. But anyway, a big shout out to you guys and all our regular listeners. Yeah, yeah. all our regular listeners, who, wherever you are and whoever you are. All right, uh, we might go to our first song. This is uh, a '60s classic, "Mamas and the Papas," yeah. and go where you want to go, "Mamas and the Papas." <laughs>
All right, it's 10.44. You're listening to Use from the Drug War Front. And, of course, that was Mamas and the Puppers. Go where you want to go. Haven't heard that in ages. For Gee, their harmon- ages. harmonies yeah. were just awesome. Oh, beautiful song, too. Lovely lyrics. Um, we just need to mention that the next Naloxone workshop is being held today from 2pm at the Early Morning Centre, 69 Northbourne Avenue, Canberra. Places are still available, so call Dave or Damo at Karma on 62533643 or Nicole at the Early Morning Centre on 62475041. Not only that, but that's still a funded workshop, isn't it? Yeah, people are still getting paid to attend. yeah. So keep that in mind. It's still you still are paid not only to learn how to save someone's life, which is really important for those of us who use particularly opiates, learning to recognise overdose and what to do about it and how to save someone's life quickly. That's really important. That's all it does is reverse the effects of opioids. That doesn't do anything else. It doesn't hurt you in any way. But contact Dave or Damo and get onto that workshop because it's important and it's useful. And I keep finding that I'm handing out my naloxone to other people and they to keep on getting restocked because yep. there are a lot of people who don't won't turn up to go to the workshop, which really I find a, a bit of a bit frustrating. But do find that they need the naloxone or have been in a place where they have needed the naloxone. So I'll give them mine so that next time they they need it, they've got it there for them. Look, the more that's had in the community, the better. Yes, absolutely. Look, I want everyone to have it really. And as I keep on saying, you know, every manager of every service should have access to naloxone because you never know when you're going to be confronted. People who use opioids don't look like people who use... There is no one image of an opioid user. No. Yeah, no matter what stigma says, no matter what the discriminators say, no matter what um, the stereotype says, people who use Drugs don't look like drug users. There's no image. Across all boundaries, all types, cultures, yeah. Yeah. All right, look, we've got a uh, positive news story, which we mentioned last week, the opening of the first uh, drug check-in site. Yeah. It's uh, an Australian first. And we've got a piece uh, put out by the Alcohol and Drug Foundation, which um, pretty much, you know, just runs through the, the background and the context. Uh, okay, in a first for Australia, Canberra has just launched a fill, uh, fixed drug testing site with a six-month pilot program run by Pill Test in Australia in partnership with Directions Health Service and CARMA, the Canberra Alliance for Harm Minimisation and Advocacy. The site opened uh, July, from July 19th and is open for one day and one night or parts of one day That's and one right, night. That's right, yeah. Um, the introduction of the site is in line with recent harm reduction policies announced by the ACT government, and two-thirds of Australians are in favour of pill testing, according to a recent survey. Yep. The testing times are currently 10am to 1pm on Thursday. And 6pm to 9pm on, on a Friday. Friday night. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, look, I think there might be, have to be some tweaking of, of the hours, um, but I guess you've got to start... Um, They've got to kick it off somewhere, it off. yeah. The, the main thing is to promote, I think a lot of people think it's just for 
youngsters wanting to test their ecstasy or before pills. they go out. But there's more drugs. to it than that. Mm. It's actually drug che- testing, not just pill testing. Yeah. So the piece says uh, these hours will support a diverse range of people, uh, including people accessing uh, needle and syringe programs, young people, and people who use party drugs. And it's open to anyone intending to use drugs who'd like to know more about what is in them. At the same time, people attending the site can get further information on harm minimisation and health promotion and or free nurse-led um, healthcare, including general health, sexual health and mental health services and information. It's important to note that no testing services will be available outside of the scheduled hours and no commercial quantities will be tested. Yeah, which I think that's really important to know. We're not going to test commercial quantities for you. <coughs> Excuse me. The uh, article goes on, how will Canberra's fixed pill testing site work? This is a free and confidential service open to all community members. The clinic is located within the City Communities Health Centre at 1 Moore Street, Canberra. They can test health and drug checking, or the can test health and drug checking service. Um, anyway, it's on the, it'll be on the website. Um, we'll only test small amounts of drugs that are intended for personal use. Substances in the form of pills, capsules, powders, crystals and liquids can be tested. The service may not be able to test some substances like plant material or blotters. In these cases, they will still provide harm reduction advice. Typically, upon arrival, you'll be greeted by a peer support worker who helps talk you through the process. Peer support workers are aware of the risks and anxieties associated with drug use and can support you. This includes signing a waiver stating that you have been advised of the drug's contents. You will be asked to anonymously identify the substances you believe you are in your pill or drug. You will need to provide a small sample of your pill or drug to be put through testing equipment. Testing and consultation can be as quick as 20 minutes, but can take longer. This depends on the substance being tested and testing methods. Once the test is complete, staff will have a chat to you about your results and discuss how to reduce harm. Typically, the results will show the two main substances that are in your pill or drug. Drugs presented for testing will not be confiscated, so they will not be confiscated. However, staff will still speak to you about the risk of consuming a drug containing a dangerous substance or dose. You can easily dispose of your drugs at the allocated bins. The Canberra Alliance for Harm Minimisation and Advocacy uh, state that the safest options option is always not to use drugs but if you do let's support and inform you to help reduce the harm evidently the amounts that are needed to test are very small minimal yeah yeah. so it's not like you're losing your whole that's right well not only that they're not going to confiscate them so you don't lose them just because you've made them available for testing which is what 
the fear was, um, and in fact the fact was, I think in New South Wales, that they were actually taking the pills and they were not giving them back. They were being confiscated effectively. Well, and the good thing about this, especially over uh, a period of time, is the information and research database that will be built up will be extraordinary and actually provide far more accurate information than the once a year, you know, written survey, the IDRS does. Yes, because that's all just just personal perception, yeah. yeah? And this is actually fact, this will be factually based because they will have tested the drugs and will have written it down. That's And the equipment is highly accurate. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Okay, it's got a bit about the importance of pill testing. Of course, um, this fixed site, has been based on some of the findings from the uh, trials that were done at uh, the Groove and the Move festivals in 2018-2019. The 2019 uh, testing um, potentially saved seven lives and detected drugs uh, mixed with dangerous um, adulterants and contaminants. Um, So, yeah, it's very important that um, people uh, remember to use the service and um, not be concerned. It can help detect when a drug market is um, circulating potentially dangerous substances. And on that point, we actually have a a warning which has come uh, about fake uh, alprazolam or what used to be known as Xanax. Yeah, which we've actually had access to. We've seen, I might add, um, over the last few weeks, fake alprazolam. So you need to be a bit careful about that because some of them look very similar to real alprazolam. Yeah, well, um, it's it sounds like uh, there are serious risks of, you know, it's just counterfeit product. You're not sure. You're, yeah. You've got no idea what's in it. Um, and what the, what the New South Wales Health Update says that it doesn't, really have alprazolam in it. It's mostly got unregistered benzodiazepines in variable combinations and doses, which is a bit of a problem um, because if you think you're taking alprazolam and you aren't um, and you take something in combination with it in particular, you could have yourself in a good deal of strife. Mm. Um, So you really need to know the risks about that. Um, did you want to finish that one, Jeffrey, or uh, because, or do you think we've said as much as needs yeah, to be look, said? I, I, I think like the reasons key... to pill test, or you've yeah, done look, what it, is pill testing, haven't you? Yeah, they've got some um, stats that many Australians do support um, pill testing, which is encouraging. Yeah, no, I think we sort of covered the reasons why people should use the service, and it's also I just think very important for people that are users of uh, powder drugs <clears throat> to realise that that service is um, for their for them as well as for youngsters who are yeah. using rave drugs or party scene drugs. Yeah, there were, and I remember, you know, Chris did a fairly good grab on the media that the reason, for people who are using, who've been using for a long time and have been using drugs that they think have been getting from the same provider for a long time and think that they are using the same quality or type of drug um, and they've been using it in the same way, the uh, possibility is that they don't have or they are not using what they think they've been using. If you get something, you've never tried it before, 
get it tested first. And even if you've been using the same drug for a long time or this drug from the same source for a long time, get it tested just to find out what's in it, if nothing else, because a lot of us have been using drugs over many years and but we don't really know what's in them. Well, we just are used to the effect. Yep. Um, and this place provides the information on drugs that we should be able to get and should have been able to get for many years but can get now, well, and that's important. I couldn't agree more. For me, the whole um, aim is for there to be a safe supply, that people know what they're getting, yep. know the, the quality, the purity, that it's not cut with nasty uh, adulterants. Yep. And this uh, drug checking site is um, a wonderful way of getting information that gives you uh, certainty. In it's, well, yeah, it gives you more agency over your life and that's important for drug users because we haven't had that. No. For years we haven't had agency, that agency, yeah? We haven't had that capacity to make a decision. We've just taken what we've been given because we think it is what they say it is, and hope, yeah? hope that they're telling you the truth. We have to cross our fingers and hope that's what's going on, absolutely. All right, we've got the Community Radio National uh, News coming up and uh, we will be back after the news. All right, it's four minutes after 11. Welcome back to this week's News from the Drug War Front, brought to you by Karma, the Canberra Alliance for Harm, Harm Minimisation and Advocacy. And just a quick reminder if um, people... Uh, we were talking about the naloxone training that uh, Karma provides. There's actually a, a workshop on today at 2 o'clock at the Early Morning Centre, which is um, pretty close to Civic. It's 69 Northbourne Avenue, and there are places still available. So um, uh, you get the hours training, you get to learn to recognise uh, an opiate overdose and how to respond with the nasal spray and get to take uh, naloxone with you um, after finishing the training, and there's a, a, a payment as well for your time. So if you are interested in snapping up a place, uh, call Dave or Damo at Karma on 62533643 or Nicole at the Early Morning Centre on 62475041. Um, and there will be regular naloxone training, um, uh, you know, in perpetuity, hopefully. Uh, but it's definitely one of the most um, impactful programs that uh, Karma has developed and um, expanded and uh, it's it, it's been a great success. Okay, might go to a song. Um, this is the Jim Carroll Band and it's called uh, People Who Died.
That was the Jim Carroll band and People Who Died. It was on the soundtrack of the film with a very young Leonardo DiCaprio. Very young Leonardo DiCaprio. Called The Basketball Diaries, which I've seen. It's quite an interesting film. Yeah. Yeah. uh, I've never seen it, but boy, Leonardo DiCaprio, he was a good looking chap. But uh, yeah, as they get richer, they get older and they get plumper, don't they? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Sadly true. Yeah. All right. there's an interesting piece uh, by five researchers that was uh, published in The Conversation, July the 28th. Direct acting antivirals can cure hepatitis C and prisons are now leading uh, efforts to eliminate the virus, which sounds encouraging. Mm. While most medical attention has been on COVID, work has been underway to eliminate another viral disease, hepatitis C. In Australia, approximately 120,000 people have hepatitis C, mostly spread through injecting drugs using unsterile equipment. Left untreated, hepatitis C can cause liver damage, leading to cancer, liver failure and even death. And we've mentioned in the past uh, of knowing people that have you yeah, know, died, of died from liver failure hep- yeah, and, and watching them. Watching not, their liver explode, expand. Not pleasant. And not, it's not a pleasant death, not pleasant to watch. Uh 
on a very positive development in 2016, Australians with Hep C gained access to highly effective treatment um, options, direct-acting antivirals. These can cure hepatitis C in eight to twelve weeks, just taking one pill a day, and that's where the Reach Teach Treat, Treat Thrive, Thrive program, program comes in. Yeah, uh, you know, it's a great way. So yeah, if you think you might have Hep C, um, yeah, do yeah, go for it. Go Get for involved it. in the program because it cures it. And it Cure? fixes your liver completely. That's right. So Keep on saying every week it makes it available for um, organ transplant or organ donorship, and that's such an unusual thing to have something of your own as a drug user that you can transplant, av- make available for donor donation. Such, such a breakthrough. Absolutely. Uh, Australia took on the World Health Organization's goal of eliminating Hep C by 2030. Thousands of Australians commenced treatment, but numbers have slowed recently, prompting concern that the goal of eliminating Hep C by 2030 may be becoming unreachable. However, one sector has been making some progress. Prisons. In Australia and many other countries, the criminalisation of drug use results in the frequent incarceration of people who inject drugs. About half of people entering prison report a history of injecting drugs. While drug courts and diversion programs help keep some people out of prison, much more needs to be done to treat drug use as a health issue rather than a criminal one. Hear, hear. Mm. The over-incarceration of people who inject drugs results in high rates of hep C amongst the prison population. In 2016, of people entering prison who reported injecting drugs, approximately half had been exposed to hep C, but not all may have had an active infection. This compares with less than 1% of those entering prison who did not report injecting. Yeah. It's interesting about reporting injection, injecting as well, mm. yeah, whether you have to report it or whether you don't. And if you report it, you know, the, the, the tendency is to be dishonest about that and say, no, no, yeah. especially if you're not in for a drug-related matter. Yeah, yeah. You're cautious, yeah. Anyway, injecting drug use in prisons, the article goes on, imprisonment enables some people to stop using drugs, but others continue to inject and some start injecting. No Australian jurisdiction provides sterile injecting equipment to people in prison, despite this being available in the community. The likelihood of syringe sharing in prison is therefore high. It's without a doubt high and increases the risk of hepatitis C transmission. One New South Wales study estimated 10% of people who injected drugs in prison were newly infected each year. Another study found recent incarceration increases the risk of contracting hep C by 62%. Access to hep C care in prisons. Direct-acting antivirals were listed, or DAAs, were listed in Australia's Pharmaceutical Benefit Schedule, PBS, in 2016. These subsidised medicines were made available to all Australians, including people in prison. Prisoners are usually excluded from federal government PBS studies, subsidies, sorry, with medication costs falling to states and territories. While overall hepatitis C treatment rates stagnated in Australia, the prison sector accounted for a rising percentage of all people treated. Between March 2016 and February 2017, around 6% or 2,052 of all hepatitis C treatments occurred in Australian prisons. 
In 2020, this rose to 37%, which is a massive increase. That's 3,005. For some people, prison is one of the few places left they can receive hepatitis C treatment. A pilot evaluation of a nurse outreach program in Victorian prisons found that of 416 people who started directing our DAA treatment, most, 86%, had never had hepatitis C care before. An additional 75 people were released from prison before they could start treatment. After referral to their preferred physician, only 19 were prescribed direct-acting antivirals within six months of release. Seven of those people were treated only after they were re-incarcerated. Many people leaving prison face the multiple challenges, including housing instability, poverty, obtaining meaningful and reliable important uh, employment and social connectedness. These are all potential barriers to accessing health care, including hepatitis C treatment. Treatment in prison can also prevent new infections, as, a, re- as a, study, a recent study showed. This same study also saw a reduction in people being reinfected with hepatitis C, because you can get it more than once. Yep. One, hepat- one Queensland prison has even reported elimina- eliminating hepatitis C. However... New entrants and the lack of prison-based needle and syringe programs have made it difficult to maintain its hepatitis-free status. What a surprise. Yeah. Uh, It goes on to say prisoners have a lot more to do. While significant progress has occurred, there is much more work to be done within the prison sector to accelerate hep C elimination. Accidental drug overdoses regularly claim more lives than car accidents in Australia. Yep. And in a bid to prevent more deaths, Australian authorities have recently trialled giving people their prescriptions for opioids, uh, the antidote naloxone. I'm just wondering if this uh, separate story that I haven't put the heading in. Yeah, uh, I mass, think you a, have, darling. I think you're not on the right page somewhere. Anyway, look, it's a positive thing that um, some action's been taken um, in prisons. Oh, no, no, I think, I think it is. It just goes on to a different... Um, Story, yeah. Victorian MP Fiona Patton said that over the course of the trial, naloxone was used 1,700 times and effectively saved 1,700 lives. What we found is that people who had children or family members um, who may have an opioid um, problem, problematic opioid use, found they were stocking up on naloxone so they, it was there to save, save lives. The trial was so successful, the program has now been rolled out across Australia. I certainly think New Zealand should be following suit. Yeah, I think this is a story about New Zealand following us and rolling yeah. out. Um, it is. Naloxone. New Zealand urged to follow Australian uh, opioids. Yeah. Sorry, I've confused myself completely there. Yeah. <laughs> it says... So um, prisons have more to do is the end of that page. And then page five, rapid point of care hepatitis C testing. Ah, uh, right, right, right. Yeah. No, I've got myself totally confused it's page here. five. It's the problem when they're back to back, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is a bit. Yeah, look, this this story. Yeah, is New Zealand urged to follow Australia on opioid overdose antidote naloxone, which I'm surprised yeah. they haven't done already. Yeah. But um, anyway, it says all the things we normally say about how it reverses the effects of opioids, comes as a nasal spray, 
and used to be an injectable um, intramuscular injectable ampule. The New Zealand Drug Foundation's urging their Health Minister, Andrew Little, to take similar action in New Zealand as Australia and make naloxone freely available to more opioid users and first responders. We want naloxone in the hands of every police officer, ambulance, fire engine, uh, and we also want it to be freely given out to people who use drugs because at any time they're at risk of fentanyl entering our drug supply and that would lead to rapid fatalities. Mm, Sarah, Sarah Helm told our news. 13 people were hospitalised in Wararapa this month after taking cocaine that was laced with fentanyl. Mm, excuse me. New Zealand's Medicines Classification Committee recently recommended that ampules of injectable naloxone should be made available at needle exchanges to people who use opioids. Helms said that while this was a positive move, it doesn't go far enough. Quote, this change won't help us get naloxone into the hands of the large group of people who are vulnerable to a fentanyl outbreak. We need the government to step in now, end quote. Patton, meanwhile, said that during the um, Australian trial, many of those whose lives were saved by naloxone were not people using opioids illegally, but people who had prescriptions for opioids after injuries or operations and who had unintentionally overdosed. The minister, the health minister, Andrew Little, has asked officials at the Ministry of Health to look into the concerns that the Drug Foundation raised. Well, that would be really positive if New Zealand followed um, the Australian example yeah. of rolling out naloxone. And the point about people getting prescription opioids is one we've also mentioned that, you know, it should be part of the package. If you're having post-surgery provision of a Schedule Eight opiate on prescription, um, yeah. why not hand out a naloxone spray so that it's there if somebody accidentally takes too much. And one of the the issues is actually having the ampules is problematic. Managing the ampules is problematic, but having the nasal spray is a much safer and much more useful um, method of of, you know, entry of giving um, naloxone. Well, to, it's, it's quicker, less, yeah. less stressful. Absolutely. Um, uh, there is, there's no issue about having to draw up or about feeling anxious about giving an injection to somebody. Um, the last sentence of this is Little has said that, uh, that he's been assured that there's enough naloxone in the country and that Pharmac could get more at short notice if required. Well, yeah. Um, look, uh, sorry, listeners, but I found the bit of the previous story that I lost um, <laughs> about prisons and Hep C. Uh, it just concludes, harm reduction is critical. Strategies proven highly effective in the community should be widely accessible inside our prisons, including opioid substitution treatment and needle and syringe programs, which is something that... Um, Katie Gallagher tried to do when she was still ACT Chief Minister, but um, yes. was unsuccessful. Despite widespread support for prison-based needle and syringe programs and um, international evidence showing that they can operate without compromising safety, no Australian jurisdiction has introduced one. 
Many people serving supervised correctional orders in the community are likely to have undiagnosed or untreated hep C. Greater coordination and provision of health services across the criminal justice system, including police detention, the courts and community-based corrective services, will enable more people to be diagnosed and treated. And these measures will reduce rates of hep C in prisons and the community. Indeed. And the authors include Freya Sykes, who's the lead policy officer at the Burnett Institute, uh, Alexander Thompson, Director of Gastroenterology, Department St Vincent's Hospital, University of Melbourne, Jacinta Holmes, Clinica, Clinical Associate Professor, University of Melbourne, Rebecca Winter, Deputy Head, Justice Health Research Group, Burnett Institute, and Timothy Papaluka, Assistant Researcher, University of Melbourne. So mm. sorry for that confusion, but it's important, yeah, um, oh, yeah, that these new treatments be as widely available as possible. Um but, yeah, people are going to get reinfected in jail if there's no way of using Abs- And their first infection being in jails too well, is too. a real worry, yeah. isn't it? And yeah. The availability of, the, of direct-acting antivirals in jails seems like an absolutely reasonable... Under, I mean, it means to me we should test people immediately for hepatitis C uh, presence... And get them on treatment straight off because if it's an only a 12-week program maximum, there's no reason why they should be still hep C when they leave prison. Mm-hmm. Because, the, I mean, most people, if they go to prison, 12 weeks is a three-month um, sentence. Mm-hmm. Most people have more than a three-month sentence. So it seems sensible to test, treat and get people going first. And if we could do that with them being paid at the same time, then really they'll have money to come out with, you know, if they're allowed to be paid at the same time. Well, if we're going to reach the goal of elimination by 2030, we need to think outside the box. And and really important to think about it in a way that makes sense to users and makes sense for them to – and makes sense for – workers in prisons to encourage people to do hepatitis C treatment. Mm, And see the benefit. Yeah, and they see the benefit themselves because they're not dealing with people with hepatitis C. They don't have to worry about bloodborne disease or about... I mean, it's... Yeah, they need to think sensibly about that stuff. It's not not only outside the box, Geoffrey, it's about... Within the box, but outside their current range of thinking, mm-hmm. yeah? Yep. The way they consider um, drug users as less than human. Well, that hasn't helped, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we'll go to another song. This is Mud Hunting. Sweet Young Thing Ain't Sweet No More.
that was Mud Honey and Sweet uh, Young Thing Ain't Sweet No More. And uh, the next uh, article we've got. Now, look, this is one I've got a big question mark on. And I want our listeners to think very seriously about this because it says, New Zealand will ban smoking for future generations. Could Australia be next? This is by John Buckley from Vice.com, July 27. Now, think about this really seriously, troops. We know what happens when you ban things. You create um, an atmosphere or a climate for a new illicit market for money, yeah? Was well, banning anything worked? I mean, has, yeah, have, what's happened to everything else we've banned? Nothing except we've provided an option for people to make a whole lot of money out of stuff that is banned. Anyway, it says the next heading is why wait for New Zealand to do this? As the New Zealand government prepares to give passage to world-leading plans to ban future generations being able to purchase cigarettes, local tobacco control experts are watching on with envy. Now, they suggest, is Australia's opportunity to follow suit. You geese. In December last year, New Zealand's Associate Health Minister, Dr Aisha Aisha Verrill, announced in Parliament that older smokers around the country would only be able to get their hands on tobacco products with low levels of nicotine. By 2025, the government hopes less than 5% of the nation's population will be smoking. Well, good luck with that. The comments made by Verrill are just one piece of an expansive plan set in motion by the New Zealand government to move on end-game tobacco legislation. It's a campaign that's been grinding away for the last 10 years. On Tuesday, things came even closer when the Ardern government introduced new legislation that would prevent future generations from ever purchasing a cigarette. If that bill passes, as is expected to... Access to run-of-the-mill tobacco products would be stifled exponentially. (laughs) The laws could see nicotine levels limited to 0.4 milligrams per gram of tobacco, along with the removal of cigarettes from roughly 95% of the retail outlets currently carrying them. Most strikingly, however, anyone born in the year 2009 or later would never be allowed to purchase tobacco products legally ever. He's coming up with this. This is just off the dial. Now, advocates in Australia say local policymakers have an opportunity to do the same. Whoopee-doo. Like New Zealand, Australia's smoking rate, which accounts for just 10.7% of the population, sits amongst the lowest in the world. What each nation has in common, though, are lethally high rates of smoking among Indigenous populations. And just before you go on, Geoffrey, I need to just tell people what I said off air. When we went on the train from Rome to Brindisi, as railroad tracks went past people's backyards, we could see into people's backyards what they were growing were tobacco plants. So you may not be able to buy tobacco 
products from shops. People will but grow. But that doesn't mean you can't grow it at home. Yeah. Yeah. Look, haven't we worked out? Prohibition doesn't work. Absolutely. Anyway. And this absent, this absent, just say no stuff is another one of those stupid one-liners that we keep on saying. Give it a break. It doesn't work. Okay, it goes on to say Becky Freeman, a tobacco control expert at the University of Sydney, said Australia's grip on tobacco has loosened markedly over the last decade. Since becoming the first jurisdiction around the world to roll out plain packaged cigarettes, she said Australian legislators have continued to just float along on the issue. Why wait for New Zealand to do this? This is not the Australia-New Zealand battle spirit, is it? In Australia, tobacco-related disease is reported to kill more than a third of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people around the country. Across the Tasman, the current Maori smoking rate is 22.3%, while in 2020, nearly a quarter of all Maori deaths were linked to smoking. In an interview with the Sydney Morning Herald, Aboriginal social justice campaigner Tom Karma welcomed New Zealand's perseverance on the issue and suggested the approach seen here in Australia left a lot to be desired. Key to New Zealand's success on the bill, according to experts, has been the way government leaders have enlisted the support of Māori public health and political leaders. In Australia, the same level of involvement could yet be a way off, though as First Nations Australians continue to fight for the most basic of reparations, which as recently as this week have been received with sneers at the highest levels of federal government. Professor Tony Blakely, an epidemiologist who worked on the research team, who consulted on the bill currently before the New Zealand Parliament, said that without Māori leadership and consent, the whole thing would be prone to backfire. I think it would be prone to backfire no matter whose support you get. You don't need to be a rocket scientist to work out that in Australia, this would be a really important policy for reducing Indigenous and non-Indigenous gaps in health. As it stands, Australia's national preventive health strategy has a comparatively modest approach to putting downward pressure on smoking rates. By 2030, the aim is to have less than 5% of the Australian population smoking and 27% of the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander adult population. In its submission to the government's consultation on the plan back in the middle of 2018, the Central Australian Aboriginal Congress suggested that progress on tackling rates of smoking were, quote, uneven and that a failure to reduce smoking rates in remote Australia were of particular concern. At the time, they wanted to see Federal Health Minister's stonewall tobacco industry involvement in the government's approach to smoking and ensure that whole-of-population tobacco control programs came to play a role in motivating Aboriginal people to quit. Since then, though, experts have described the government's efforts as absolute complacency. But the answer is not to ban smoking. No. Um, look... I'm an ex-smoker, and yeah. I—it's I, not going to work. It's—it's it's naive. It's um, authoritarian. Stupidity. Yeah, I think it is. It's just stupidity. The—the the, the whole idea that banning anything is the solution to a problem, bringing people up to be non-smokers rather than relying on people to become ex-smokers. Fine, but banning things just as I said twice, three times already, this program only creates a new market for money making exactly through the criminals. And yep. really, <sighs> haven't we woken up to that? No, yeah, well, no, apparently not. No. You know, it's just the whole point of this is meant to be about 
the health of the community. And the health of the community has more to do, and particularly rural communities and remote and First Nations community, has as much to do with access to health care and health promotion, not just illness prevention, but health promotion, mm. yeah. as it has to do with access to treatment. Yeah. Yeah, so... No, you need tailored public this. public education. You yes. need to support people, yep. help them when they want help. That's right, um, because the only way you stop people using a drug is when they want to stop using a drug. And anybody who uses knows that. The success rate of forcing people to stop using anything is... Miserable. <laughs> 4%, Yeah. <laughs> And temporary at best. Definitely one policy we don't want to import from New Zealand. Absolutely. All right, might play a quick song. This is uh, Johnny Thunders, the late Johnny Thunders, playing Chinese Rocks live at a club in 1982. This is Johnny Thunders.
All right, a live uh, Johnny Thunders with Chinese rocks. It's yeah, I wouldn't mind living on a Chinese rock. Yeah, I think Dee Dee Ramone yeah. wrote that song. It's a, it's a bit of a classic. Yeah, Okay, it's about 11.43. You're listening to News from the Rug War Front with Jeff and Marion in yep. Studio One, 2 X People Powered Radio, 98.3 FM. Indeed and while mentioning 2 X, um, those who, you know, enjoy our show and many of the, I don't know, 60, 70, 80 um, odd original shows that are produced by volunteers, Yeah, consider supporting 2XX, you know. And, you know, bus drivers listen to our show, remember? Yeah, that's right. Hello, shout out again to John. That's right. The bus driver who told me that he listened to our show. Anybody who's sitting down just listening to the radio from, you know, 10.30 to 12 could be listening to 2XX and thinking about the stuff we're saying and even if you just think about it and dismiss it, yep. at least you think about it and you could discuss it with people that you come into contact with because that's all we want is public conversation. Well, how rare are the opportunities for public discussion? Absolutely. You know, most people just get their um, propaganda from mainstream media Indeed. and it just gets repeated time and time again. Educating police on harm reduction can help prevent HIV and fatal overdoses. And this is by Rosie Hayes from AIDSmishap.com from July 31. A police education program in Tijuana, Mexico, has reduced arrests of people who inject drugs and is a cost-effective way to prevent HIV and fatal overdoses, according to research presented at the 24th International AIDS Conference, AIDS 2022. Um, Today, Proyecto Escudo, Project Shield, provided training to police on HIV, hepatitis and harm reduction resulting in a significant and sustained decline in arrests of people who injected drugs over the two-year evaluation. Modelling indicates that this approach is a cost-effective way of reducing HIV transmission and fatal overdoses. What a surprise. Tijuana is a major city on the border between Mexico and the United States and an important staging post for drug trafficking. People who inject drugs in Mexico are frequently harassed and arrested arrested by the police, who particularly target harm reduction sites such as methadone clinics to carry out arrests. Possession of syringes is often used as a reason for arrests, despite this being legal in Mexico. Possession of syringes is often used as a reason for arrest. Oh, yeah, I did that. And such arrests almost triple the risks of people sharing injecting equipment, <clears throat> which is one of the reasons why in Australia we made sure we had the cooperation of the police um, before we instituted needle and syringe exchange programs. And it's been a wonderful harm reduction And, and look what's happened. It's mm. reduced the rate of HIV transmission amongst injecting people who have HIV, um, injecting drug use as their only uh, HIV transmission factor. Important stuff. Um, serving prison time increases a person's risk of acquiring HIV and hepatitis C. 
and there is several risk of fatal overdose. There is a severe risk of fatal overdose in the immediate period following release upon from prison. Proyecto Escudo was a collaboration between the University of California in San Diego and the U.S.-Mexico Border Health Commission, devised to bring uh, to bring policing practices in line with evidence-based public health principles. How about that? Yeah. Evidence-based. In May 2016, 1,806 municipal police officers in Tijuana received training on, one, harm reduction, including public health benefits of syringe service programs and methadone maintenance therapy, Two, reforms passed by the federal government on 2000, in 2009, which decriminalised possession of small quantities of drug for personal use and mandated treatment for repeat offenders. Three, basic HIV and hepatitis C epidemiology. Four, op- occupational safety, including how to avoid needle stick injuries. Very sensible. To measure the success of the project, the evaluation followed up with the officers over two years, as well as a cohort of people who inject drugs living in Tijuana before, during and after the training. Police officers reported making significantly fewer arrests in the two years after the training was delivered. The proportion saying they sometimes or always made arrests for heroin possession fell from 44% to 31%, while the number making arrests for syringe possession declined from 41% to 20%. This finding was corroborated by data from the cohort of people who inject drugs, who were 68% less likely to have been imprisoned in the post-training period compared to the time before the training. The researchers then used modelling techniques to estimate the short and long-term impact and cost-effectiveness of the training on preventing HIV transmission and fatal overdoses. They found that the training would have a modest but important impact on HIV transmission, with 1.7% fewer HIV infections two years after the training and 3.1% fewer infections 10 years after the training. The impact on fatal overdoses is much more substantial, with 9% fewer overdoses within two years and 14% after 10. They also found that while the training program was expensive, its cost was offset by reduced spending on imprisonment, making the intervention cost-effective. As is Dr Javier Cepeda presenting his findings at AIDS 2022, he conceded that further research is needed to confirm that it was, in fact, the training that led to the reduction in arrests and imprisonment. Nevertheless, it does appear that educating police about HIV, Hep C and harm reduction can reduce harassment and arrests of people who inject drugs and offers a cost-effective approach to preventing HIV and fatal overdoses. Mm, I think it's really, really No, it's positive and a very positive statement. Yeah. And, and I'm surprised it have, hasn't happened earlier, strictly speaking, given the... Um, Given the location of Tijuana, yeah, and you know the the it being right on the border from Mexico and the United States, and that's actually the California part yep. of the United States, which is has quite a radical policy, if you like, um, comparatively, in for the United States. But I'm you know pleased to hear it, and it's a really good. It's a really good uh, way of introducing police to their own self-preservation, yeah, yeah. yeah, which means drug users' lives are saved because 
police are looking after their own well-being by being educated in harm reduction. Well, protect and serve the community is meant Absolutely. to be the theory. Absolutely, and if police aren't part of the community, then if they are the community, yeah. really, aren't they? They exactly. represent the community. So, yeah, no, very pleased to hear that. It's a great story and really pleased to hear about it. Yeah, um, just a final reminder about the Naloxone workshop that's on today at the Early Morning Centre at 2 o'clock if you've got the time. And yeah, 62533643 yep, yep. to get in touch with Dave or Damo. Yep. 2 o'clock it starts and goes for an hour to an hour and a half and you get paid to turn up. Yep, and you get take-home Naloxone, to, which you'll have on hand to yep. save a life. You know, absolutely. The- so the nasal spray, so you don't have to worry about having to learn about injecting or you know drawing up an injection. And I'm so pleased with having the nasal spray to uh, reverse the effects of uh, opioid overdose. Well, it's quicker, it's easier, less and panic. It, well, less- and it's yeah. I mean, people do panic. When, you know, normally if you're injecting, you know, it takes quite a some time, quite some time to mull up and get ready to have an, an injection. But to save someone's life, it's much better to be able to just use Narcan by nasal spray mm. than to use to actually have to inject into somebody's um, gluteus maximus, which is their bum, <laughs> or their uh, shoulder, yeah. effectively, their muscle at the top of their arm. Yeah, no, it's a really positive advancement yeah. in terms of um, naloxone delivery. And yeah, and it's a great program and really, you know, we're Dave's to be congratulated. It's the really the model for the rest of Australia, yeah? Absolutely. And we're very proud of him and AMO and of the program and of Karma for, you know, sponsoring that program and getting it funded. So, you know, there's keeping people alive is what we're all about. We want people to stay alive and healthy and keep each other and develop a community, for crying out loud. I'm so sick of hearing that word. We need to become a community care about each other. Mm. Anyway, look, I um, hope listeners found some interest in the stories and conversation. Um, keep an open mind about these issues. Um, anyway, thanks for listening. We'll leave you with uh, the same theme song, which yeah. is Golden Brown. We love you all. Look Take after care. each other. Stay well, and we'll talk to you next week. Indeed. Love you, Jeffrey. Take See care. you. Bye. Bye, everyone. sun lays me down with my mind she runs throughout the night no need to fight never a frown with golden brown every time just like the last on her ship tied to the mast two distant lands takes both my hands never a frown Golden Brown 
and tracks Through the ages she's heading west From far away, stays for a day Never a frown 